0: I want to just look first at the big uh, picture. The big picture of, uh, is of Christ's superiority uh, or superior priesthood over all the Old Testament priests. And the main point is found in verse 25, uh, the word consequently or therefore. And that means there is a great conclusion to from all the preceding truth about Jesus' priesthood. And verse 25 is the conclusion of it all. So verse 25 says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always may, uh, lives and makes uh, to make intercession for them. There are some wonderful truths in that before we get to explain it. Christ is able to save To the uttermost forever. That's a great promise. That means we can expect salvation. We can expect it. We can live thinking this will not be how we will finish up. Because God's going to save. Also second promise. He always lives to make intercession for us. That's a wonderful promise. He lives to pray for you. He exists to pray for you. I find that just so reassuring because I know that I'm a rubbish prayer, but he lives to pray for me. That excites me. The The eternal intercession and the eternal salvation are for those who draw near to God through Jesus. Now, think with me. I know that's difficult because I have difficulty thinking. Think with me about the relationship between those two. That Jesus is able to save forever and that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. What is the connection? Well, it's made explicit in the verse and it is extremely important. So we're starting off with something extremely important and hopefully we'll keep going on doing important stuff. And it is found in the words, since or maybe in your Bible, or because. Since, or because, he always lives to make intercession for us. In other words, our future salvation hangs on Jesus' future intercession for us. Oh, what if he stops then? You just plummet into hell. No, you don't. Because what does the Bible say? He lives to intercede to us. And how does He pray? Day and night without ceasing. What does that mean? It means that our salvation is secure, it's safe, it's solid, it's something we can build our lives on. It's a wonderful promise because here in heaven is somebody praying for us day and night and not giving up. Isn't that wonderful? I am secure, not because of what I do, not because of what I pray, not because of the rituals that I, but because he prays and he doesn't stop. I can say, wow, my, my security in heaven is secure because of what he does. Now, the reason that there are priests in the, whole tes- in the, old, in the old Testament, in the Old Testament, is that priests are needed to intercede for us with God. They enter into the holy place where we're not allowed to go. Uh, they take sacrifice sacrifices for us so that our sins can be forgiven. And all of that Old Testament priestly system was meant to teach the people and us about sin, about holiness, about the wrath of God, about an inescapable judgment that, w- that would come upon us. And the point in all of this is God has made a way for us to get right with him. We can get right with God, and God made a way for us to do that. He provided priests in the Old Testament, but now he provides his son, a final high priest, who intercedes on our day on, On our behalf, day and night. So that we can experience, know, draw near to, with confidence, God. He has given us access into an experience and a journey and a place that we are invited to go. And that is to the very presence of the Father. He's secured it for us. Okay, let's move on. Those last words in Hebrews 8, 5 then. See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. What on earth is all that lot about? They're actually a quote from Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, where God's speaking to Moses. And the point that the writer draws out is that the furnishings and the actions of the Old Testament were copies and shadows of what would be. So verse 5, we see that they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly thing. Sort of symbols or pointers uh, to a different heavenly uh, reality. When, when ga- God gave Moses... A pattern for the priestly sacrificial system. He just didn't think. Well, what we need is something rather strange and bizarre that's different from the rest of them. We'll, I'll just make something on the spot, and here, here it is. He wasn't just a jumble of things that were invented in a desert. It was after a glorious reality. It was beginning to set something into into place that what would happen is that it would enfold when Jesus returned, uh, was on earth, and then would gloriously be seen by us all when we enter heaven. So when we're looking at this, it wasn't thought, well, what, what, what is that stuff? You know, what, what do they do that for? It's just a beginning, a shadow of a copy, That something that would, would, would break out when Jesus came and would break out and f- further so that when you get to heaven, your first words are, wow. That's the idea. And the idea of beginning there is so that your wow might get a bit louder so that by the time you get to heaven you're a bit used to it. It's sort of looking at it and thinking watching it unfold so that the last part of your life is I'm ready. It shouldn't be, I know, death is coming. You should have looked at this pattern unfolding, unfolding with Jesus through into the Gospels, exposed in all its glory in the church, so that when you get to that final point and you breathe your last breath, you're saying, Open the doors and let me in. That's what all this is about. We're sort of getting a glimpse of God and His ways and what is being prepared for us. And the point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus, God's son, has not just to come into to fit into an earthly system of priestly ministry, sort of as the last human priest. But he's come to fulfill and put an end to a system and orientate it differently so that everything points to him. The Old Testament tabernacle and priests were just shadows but now the reality has come. They were just in part as it were. But now Jesus has come. Holy Spirit is with us. The, the shadows and, 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 the, and the, the shapes all pass away. And suddenly we get to experience the reality. Come on, the reality's there for us. If you you haven't experienced Jesus, he's there to have and to hold, to know and to feel and to touch. He's just out there experiencing reality. Most children, most parents, at some stage have lost their kids in Marks and Spencers. I do not want to go this personally because mine's sitting on the front row. Um, but it's an experience. I don't know what it is about Marks and Spencers, but you go in Marks and Spencers and they run. Don't they? I don't know what it is. And I don't know what it is about the design of Marks and Spencers, but when they get in, they can go places that you just... And you can't see, can you, when they escaped in? Because you're looking up there and they go in sort of down here somewhere. And it's quite difficult. I, I think it's, it's design change. Marks and Spencers, I think what they need to do is have the clothes down slightly and all the walkways sort of differently, or the clothes up, sorry, the walkways down and the clothes up so that we can just look like this so we can see. Because it always happens, and I don't know whether you've ever been in Marks and Spencers, but we, you know, bing bong, and it's all the time because somebody's trying to find their kids. And I don't know what, what happens in the mind of a child um, because it 's too long ago, <laughs> but I know this that probably that once they sort of shot that way but by the between the twelve fourteen trousers that you know in the ladies' section, which most of our men are by at that time, and what you know that sort of do- they probably get scared and panic and go in all directions they probably then can 't re- re- reorientate themselves and sort of dodge between, and the safe place seems to be. Uh, an aisle. But I for, do you want you to just imagine for a moment that this has happened, the parents are, are looking around, that what has happened is that the kid's running around, it's just beginning to cry, and then this shadow appears. <coughs> Now, I know that I've got a shadow. It doesn't look like Silas's. Silas's shadow is like this and goes like this because he's got massive shoulders. He goes in the gym. My shoulders go like that and I go like that, okay? So if it was me or Silas, you would know the difference between me and him. But most children, I, I would suggest, can know the shadow of their own mom or dad. They would know. And they see the shadow on the floor and they think, that just looks like my mom. But what would satisfy them the most at this point? Are they going to run and just hug the shadow? Just lie on the floor and stroke the floor? Is it the shadow that is going to bring them comfort? Or is it when they look up and they see the open arms of their mother? You don't often see kids, do you? Running to the shadow. You see them running To hold the real thing. And that's the way that it is. Jesus has come to be our high priest. We no longer have to live with a vague shape or a shadow. He is here. Let me ask you a question. Why would you want a ritual when you can have him? Why would you have a right R-I-T-E. When you can have him. Why would, you, why would you have a formula or a pattern when you can have him? Let me encourage you to resist those things. And to move towards him. Let him hold you. Let, feel him. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 is a kind of summary It says this, now, the point in what we're saying is this, that we have such a high priest who is one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty, a minister in holy places, in the true tent that is set up by the Lord, not by a man. And the point, or the main point of that, is that there is one priest who goes between us and God, who makes us right with God, he prays for us, but he's not ordinary. He's not an ordinary man. He's not weak like the priest of old. He's not sinful like the priest of old. He's not going to die like the priest of old. He is the son of God. He is strong, sinless with indestructible life. Not only that, he's not ministering in an earthly tabernacle with all its limitations of place and size that's been worn out and gets moth-eaten and soaked by rain and burned by sun and torn by people and nicked by uh, people that want to come and raid you and nick your stuff. None of that. No. Verse 2 says he's ministering in a true tabernacle, which is, which is not pitched by man, but is pitched by the Lord. The real thing of heaven can be yours. And that's what's meant by uh, cast uh, uh, from Mount Sinai, what was given, what Moses copied. Therefore, I want to encourage you, don't put back a man where you hear from God. I am not your priest. I cannot be your priest. I can't do that. Why? Because when Jesus came, he made you the priesthood of all believers. He said, You can have as much access as any other people. You don't need a priest any longer. And isn't it strange that in our day, I don't know, mention denominations or anything like this, that what we are doing as a people is that we're moving back to a priest. We've got rid of the robe thing and the funny hat thing and the thing that you wear down there. We cast it aside when Jesus came and we've come back to getting people dressed up so that one man can hear from God on your behalf. What are we doing? What are we doing with our churches? We are creating them ornate and tent-like and holy of holies and, and sort of becoming sort of like, you can't do that in this place. It is the Lord's place. No, it's not. It's flipping Glendore University. Where does the presence of the Lord dwell? He dwells with me in my heart. I no longer need a tent. I no longer need a man. I can have the real thing at any time. That's the bonus. I can be in the shower and worshipping. I can be in the closet, as Jesus said, and praying. I don't need that. We need to resist that. So please do not ask me to wear a dog collar. I will not. Because I don't want to be your priest. I want to be the person that leads you to the great high priest so that you can experience him for himself. Don't have the shadow. Have the real thing. According to verse 1, Another great thing about the reality, which is greater than the shadow, is that our high priest is seated at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. No priest could say that. Jesus is dealing directly with God by sitting next to him. Isn't that wonderful? It's, sort of ju- it's just great. I, just, I know you shouldn't do this. I just imagine like this big sofa, you know. Hey, I... Just need to talk to you about Ro really? Yeah, Ro just you know, Rue needs a little bit of help at the moment. Okay, we'll sort that then. They're just sort of like the Holy Trinity on a sofa in heaven, just talking together. And look at the way that it was. It was It's a relational thing that now exists in heaven, where it was a structural thing that happened in, uh, on earth. The people sinned. The bloke got all his garb on. He washed himself and did all that sort of stuff. He entered the Holy and Holies. He burnt this, kill that, sprinkled this, put the bells on it got into did all that sort of stuff reversed out just in case so that you could be uh, right before god and now what you have to do you just have to go father and he goes it's room oh, god come on it's room and they're just talking together father son and holy spirit you are in there directly and here's this wonderful relationship of all the you know we don't need a bowl or a table or a candle or a, a tassel. What is all that about? Because what we've got is that we've got God and the Son interacting in love and relationship on our behalf in heaven. As soon as you go, those words, Father, you're there. Bomb. What does the Bible say? He inclines his ear towards me. Me. Not Me. He inclines here towards Nigel and Nigel... He inclines... Why? Because all that has been shattered so that we can approach the throne of God. And there they are. They are waiting in relationship for relationship. That's the wonderful thing. It's just extraordinary. That's the, they are for us. Now add to this the last verse of chapter 7. Because what the writer wants us to do is he just wants to marvel, has to marvel in the, the, the wonderful nature of this wonderful high priest. So I've got five short things, and then I want to bring it to a conclusion, and then I'm going to run because I'm going to cancel church. It's coming, okay? So, oh no. What do I do, Phil? It should go. Can you make it go? Well, one. (laughs) It's it's clockwork. Okay, one. Uh, Here's the five superiorities. Jesus is sinless. There you go. He is. Jesus is sinless. Verse twenty-four. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, uh, unstained, uh, separated from sinners and exalted high above the heavens. No other priest could ever say that. They were sinful like you and me. But not Jesus. The one who represents us as being tempted in every way but has not yielded to the point of sin? Which means that his priestly role on behalf of you and I is unaffected by the, pres- the pressure and the effects of sin. Think about your personal role in life, think of how pressure affects you. Think of what it makes you do when you are under pressure or under stress. One of the things is that probably your relationship with God declines a little bit because you are under what the world now calls stress. Now, I want you to think that in heaven you have got somebody that represents you that is unaffected by all that you experience. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that his prayers are so effective for you. It means that he's on the ball and on your case day and night. It means that he's for you and not against you. It means that he's never going to stop holding you in in the presence of his Father all the time, that his energy is always 100% for you. Isn't that wonderful? You know, sometimes, I don't know whether they, I, I've got to be careful because Callie's out of this. I, I sometimes find the, the husband lark quite difficult. I know you're not supposed to say that, but sometimes I just feel that I, I muck up, I fail. And I just, and I don't know whether you've ever done this, husbands, that sometimes you're just on your own, you might be cutting the lawn or something like that. And you just think, you are such an idiot, Nigel. Why on earth did you say that? Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. And you know, I can even pre-plan the sort of, the scenario that goes happen. This is happening. Callie is going through this. You must not say certain things. You must not do certain things. You must not aggravate the situation. And then what do you do? Burke, you do it. And you think, why cutting the law? Why did I do that? And it's almost as if, and you think, and then what happens? The relationship collapses for a little while because I'm not saying idiot and she's thinking idiot. So there's like this tension that goes on in the house till you have to come and say that big word that men feel so. I just can't say even there, but you know, it's that sort of thing. Now, what happens in heaven is none of that. Is that all the energy that is needed to develop a relationship with you is there all the time. I just think that's wonderful. Just for your homework, go and read John 17, 6 to 26 one time. You can see how, how Jesus is there, he's praying, isn't he? For, for us and you can get an idea of what he's praying for you with full energy you just think I've got somebody for me forever shall I try Phil or you ok oh it works under the armpit ok two because he was sinless he didn't have to offer sacrifices for himself but instead could offer himself as a sacrifice that is just extraordinary Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for the sins of people. He did this once and for all. He was radically different. Can you imagine that what happens is that Moses goes, he's got these priests, some of them Levitical priests, and what he says to them is this, today guys, it's not the goat thing, okay? It's not the lamb thing, it's not the little chucky egg thing, okay, the, the bird thing. Today, it's you. What we want you to do is we want you to go in and just put your head over the bowl and, you know, it's, it's just you today. Now, I know you won't mind this because your son can take exactly time for you, but it's just you. It, that's no problem, is it? We can replace you. No problem. Where's the priest going to be that day? Where's the Old Testament priest going? I, that's not what I signed up for. I didn't become an Old Testament priest to do this. That's not what I, I did. It for the you it know, for the little chucky thing and the, the goat thing and, you know, and the lamb thing. That's what I did it for. I did it for the clothes. That's what I, I love dressing up like this and walking through the people with all the garb. That's what I did it for. The tassels and the hat and the boy. That's what I did it for. I didn't go in there to sacrifice. Himself, and then one comes and said, then I will. I will. I will go on behalf of the people. Without a lamb, and without without a bird, or without a goat. I I'll I'll go. In fact, he said, "Let me go." For God. So loved the world. That He gave His one and only Son. That he would be the sacrifice for our sins. Isn't that a wonderful demonstration of commitment for you and I? The priests never did that. But Jesus did do that. So that you could become his child. I will go through all of that. Thirdly, sacrifice of himself as once and for all. You see that at the end of verse 27. This he did once and for all when he offered himself up. This is a great Greek word. It's the Greek word, ifaf, uh, apax. Once for all. And the effect of that once and for all is this. The idea of that once and for all is not just about sins. He died once for all sins. But it is once for all. It's sort of the broader thing. Sort of every work in in history is moving towards this one sacrifice. Everything in history that is beyond and today looks back at this. This is a once and for all thing. This is the once and for all thing. This is, this is everything pointing of God's grace towards this one person. Everything now and in the future pointing back to this one, one person. That's, that's absolutely wonderful that all this is about, not just generations of priests going in and it handed down. No, this was dealt with for once and for all. All history is about this one event. What is the greatest event in history? Is it a plume of ash? No, it is not a plume of ash. It is about this one thing Jesus Christ who died once and for all. This is why our message is so wonderful because it states here that it is the greatest event in history. That this person should die once for all. Wonderful. Timothy uh, got taken up into this, and the Apostle Paul. It says that God's grace was granted us in Christ Jesus from eternity. Then he goes, full stop. You think what? Why would you stop? You know why he stopped? Because he just caught him. It doesn't even make, you know, in, even in the Bible, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. He just he stopped. Have you stopped? And thought that Christ died once for all. If you looked at history and all, how much does it make you stop and think? For all the other priests were appointed by the law in their weaknesses, but he was appointed by a divine oath as a perfect son. What is it all that about? It says in verse 28... For the law appoints men in their weakness so that the high pri- uh, as high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The oath that is referred to here is quoted firstly in Psalm 110 verse 4. Let me try and explain. It says this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou, oh, sorry, that's Old Testament. Though art a priest uh, forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It says the oath comes after the law. In fact, points already in the Old Testament to the end of the law as a ritual system. That's what that is doing. And then you get the oath spoken to uh, the Messiah in Psalm 110 verse 1. David said, The Lord uh, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. So the final high priest is Jesus. That's the oath. Jesus, the son of God, in the order of Melchizedek, not Levi or an Aaron or the sons of, is installed by an oath. Not by the law, which is passing away, but by an oath in heaven to secure what? A permanent relationship Between people and Father. An oath was made. An oath was made on your behalf. We need to swear something in heaven. On behalf of these people. Okay guys, let's get together. I don't know how they do it. When I was at school, we did that sort of funny thing where if you made a promise, you spat. Did you do that at school? The girls didn't. The guys did. Some guys even did blood oaths. Didn't understand that, didn't want to do that, too squeamish. Where they did the blood thing and they, you know, we promise. Here it is, in heaven, an oath is made. Come on, guys, let's get together. Okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let's make an oath. Who's the oath for? We will redeem a people. They all go, amen. Let's do it. Let's stick to our promise. Imagine that. Imagine the energy in heaven before the foundation of the world. Let's make a promise. What's our promise? To redeem a people. To gather them to us so that they will be a part of us. Sign it. I don't know. but I mean, you just don't know, do you? But I mean, something like that. And you think, there was an, an oath in heaven on my behalf. Finally, his ministry is forever. At the end of verse 28, the oath uh, appoints a son made perfect forever. Uh, Jesus never dies. He's never to be replaced. That's wonderful. He has an indestructible life. What does that mean? He will outlive his foes. He will be there as long as he's needed. Isn't that wonderful? Everything comes and goes, but he doesn't. Sometimes, if you talk to children, they actually fret that mommy and daddy won't be there forever to take care of them. And actually sometimes as parents, however big they are, you, you worry that you won't be there to take care of them either. So it comes both ways. And that's why this truth is so precious. There's somebody in heaven that will take care of me forever. Isn't that glorious? Forever. That's his commitment towards you. I'm going to do this forever. I've sworn an oath to do this for you forever. That is fantastic. The priesthood of Jesus, the one who prays for us, the one who is sympathetic with us, the one who is doing this forever. He's not going to do that for a decade, a bit. He's going to do it forever. And when we look at our... Uncertain lives and the way that they are. Do you not want something certain in your life? Do you not long for something that will just be unchanging? Here's the unchanging thing I am in heaven interceding for you forever until the day that we talk face to face. That's just wonderful. He's, that's the idea, the rock-like, the firm. I mean, when you see that hymn, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Why? Because that's his nature. I can because of who he is. And the great overarching point of this text and the end and also at the end of chapter seven and the beginning of chapter eight is that we have a great high priest then, Jesus Christ, who came into the world as the Son of God, who lived a sinless life, who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of his people, who rose to everlasting life. He's now seated at the right hand of the majesty of God, and there loves to and prays for us and bids us that we can draw near to God. He didn't come to fulfil to, to fit into the old system and system. He came to fulfil them and create a new one. Here's the reality. The shadow's gone. It's passed away. So how, what's the implication for all this? Oh This is where I do it and then I run. I'm gonna go amen and run, okay? So as soon as I've done that I'm legging it, alright? So I just want to challenge church a little. Mm. But don't you lead one? Yeah. Should you be here this morning? Yes. Because Jesus is going to return for his church. But I want to talk about worship. How does that work then? Let's try and do that. Then I'll run. The high priesthood of Jesus, the coming reality instead of the shadow Brings an end to a physical centre of worship. Agree? It, it is the end of the, the the tabernacle, the temple. It's the end of that. It fulfils and it brings an end to official priesthoods. Yes. Don't need to wear tassels any longer. It fulfils and brings an end to sacrificial offerings. It fulfills and brings to an end dietary laws. It fulfills and brings to an end priestly vestments, as what used to be said by my pastor. I'm just about to put my vestments on. I always thought he was cold. You'll get it later. It fulfills and brings to an, an end seasonal acts of atonement and reconciliation. So what does that mean then, if all those sort of things have gone? What it means is this, that in essence, the entire worship life of the Old Testament has finished and is radically refocused on one person, Jesus. That he has become the focus, the external thing has gone. And now, we have this one man. And I want to suggest to you that all life now is an expression of worship. And I want to just just throw in a little bit that if you are fed this morning on 45 minutes of worship and that is what is going to feed you for this week, It won't last. Because the Bible radically tells us that that ended. And why on Tuesday do you feel like you do? It's because this isn't meant to sustain you in the way that you think that it should. That actually, that when that whole thing was shut down, you got given access to Jesus 24-7. That it didn't have to be done on a particular day, in a particular way. Now it's open. That's why when we get into the New Testament, it says things like this. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your reasonable service of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It means this, that I can worship at all time, anywhere. I'm going to drop Steve Hawkins in this. Before I quote another one. Because... He shared with me something that I hope he's now shared with his wife. That in the middle of the night, such was his delight in God that he had to get up and so that he didn't, he didn't uh, wake Linda, that the only answer was to put a hanky in his mouth. Now, I find that a strange image, except I find it, aver- to thinking of Steve Hawking's. I can think of him an apple in his mouth, but... I- but there he is and I can't understand why he was trying to be quiet in the bedroom either why didn't he go somewhere else to go I suppose it's because if he went outside the neighbours would think but actually what Steve was realising was very this that worship isn't just the 45 minutes that you do or the 20 minutes that you do that actually it's life that all life we can experience the joy of the Lord the experience of the Lord that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 30 but when, whether you uh, whether then you eat or drink whatever 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 you do, do it all to the glory of God. Because we can experience God. That's why when Paul said that that, uh, about giving, he said, "Look, this giving that you're giving uh, in in Philippians, this is a fragrant aroma. It's acceptable sacrifice. It's well pleasing to the Lord. Because we can be worshippers wherever we are. We can be twenty-four-seven touching heaven. That's extraordinary. In the New Testament." All the focus is on the reality of the glory of one man, Jesus. Not the shadow, not the objects, not the forms, not, not the stuff that goes around. It's interesting, there's no authorization in the Bible about worship buildings. Why? Because we would just be pains in the neck with them, wouldn't we? Blimey, we'd have three inches short on that and the robes are not... right. You know, all that sort of stuff. Why is that that they don't say that? Why is it that it doesn't say in the Bible what you should wear? It says you should dress modestly, yeah? Well, you should do that anyway, even when you're going to work or even when you're on holiday. That's challenged a few. But, I mean, it's true. But it doesn't say anything about worship times or even worship music. What do we argue about worship music? Do we argue about the biblical thing or do we argue about the cultural thing? Now it's mainly cultural. And what is it usually? I don't like that song or I do. That's the truth, isn't it? That's what we all usually argue about. It's, not too, it's too fast, too slow. doesn't include... What is all that about? What do we argue about? What do preachers argue about? Whether to preach for 10 minutes or 3 hours. That's what we argue about. Why is that not in the Bible? Why is there not such thing about? Is the choir and all that sort of stuff. Why is it only said in Psalm 150 about the musical instrument? Why don't they repeat that? In the, uh, it's the only one we can dig up, can't we? Oh, well, we need, we've got a worship band, Psalm 150. You know, all that sort of stuff. Why is all that? Why? Because we are meant to be worshippers 24-7. That we, we shouldn't go down that line. We were not designed. We were designed to focus on this one man, Jesus. And to love him and to experience him. And to grab hold of him. And to have him for all life and all time. You should not live on this. Don't live on this. Live on him. He's available to you. You can talk with him and walk with him. A long life's narrow way. That's, you can do that that's the idea the idea was that you didn't have to have the stuff you can have him and what do we do? we bring the stuff back what generally do churches argue about? stuff isn't it? well we're going to paint the doors let's paint them pink, six leave what is that? Let's put the chairs long ways round and make a th- nine leave. What is that? Let's turn the lights off and light a few candles or we'll put some 75 leave. Hymn books? No, and this is true. I spoke to a minister in these ch- that actually people have said to if we get rid of our hymn books and we have one of these things we will leave. What? You feel like burning them, don't you? Just to go, let's see what happens, burn them. (laughs) What are we going to today? It's a worship service. We're just burning these. What on earth is it? Where's the man gone? Jesus. The truth with this is for some people, that makes us very free. For other people, that makes us very frightened. Because we like to know what is going on, don't we? We like our services to be, I don't, do you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have a service where I know what's going to go on. I want to have a service where I'm thinking, my goodness, what do I do next, Lord? I don't want to come and think, oh no, what we do is that we have the charismatic worship for 45 minutes. Steve comes and does some witty, notice. that sort of stuff. Nigel preaches, he made a... We all go, do you, do you not want to think, come on? Do you not want to go and think, I, I do not know what's going to go on today. Do you not want some of that? God, we should not be charismatic, predictable. We are as formal and charismatic that the formal people are formal. Do you understand what I mean by that? And we should be the best at it. We're supposed to be the radical, charismatic ones. I think sometimes we're the safe ones. Phil Harmon, quote, came from, I know he's at New Word of Alive, pressing buttons and doing funny digital things. Well, I think you're doing that, Phil, if you listen to me on the internet. But... If I do, if if you're not, I do apologise. But you know, he said to me this. He said that when he left a reformed church, that he thought that being amongst us would scare him to death. And then he said to us, and he said and he said, and I've been a little disappointed. And I come on. It's all about you, Jesus and what you do amongst us. Let me just read. It's all about you, Jesus, and what you do amongst us. It's not about what I think should happen, or whether that song fits with this song, or whether we're, it's about you. We gather to you at all times, 24-7. And the reason for this radical spirituality of worship in the New Testament is this. That the New Testament is a missionary Book. It's not a comfort book. The message of this book was meant to be carried to every people on earth and incarnated in every culture in the world. That's why we are not told to create something like this. Because what we do is that we take that package, and we put it in this country, and we take somebody which we have done to you and your country and your nation. We've gone to to nations like India, and we've said to be a Christian means this, that you must stand in a three-piece suit with a tie on and a waistcoat in 40 degrees in Delhi. And we've said, you must sing our hymns. And we were wrong, guys. But if we'd have transported Jesus and they worshipped in their culture, in their way, and in their time and space, it would have worked wonderfully. We didn't take Jesus, we took our three piece suit. And we were wrong. And we need to ask them for a huge amount of forgiveness because a lot of their churches have been built on a foundation of a three piece suite. But you see, the Old Testament was come and see. And the New Testament is go and tell. So we take, And the only way that we can take to go and tell is to take the man. Don't take the culture, take the man. The man brings success. The culture does not. So we take the man. The man then can do whatever the man wants to do in the culture that he's got. Let the man do it. Let me give you some idea of three things, and I'll finish with this, that I'm going to sing to you. Martin Charlesworth travels sometimes to the Ukraine. I don't know much about the Russian culture, but he says this. He said that their style of worship is quite militaristic. He said it's like being involved in an army band. That sort of stuff. I... And I have marveled at that. I've just thought, but what he's been able to say, he's been able to say, God heal, God transform people. But he's the, the worship, And he said, I find it so difficult. But the Russians love it. Why? Because they're encountering God. They're encountering God. I, I traveled uh, to Brazil. It's quite strange, Brazil, because, you know, I mean, I, uh, this body doesn't work very well. But they're good at wiggling and wobbling and doing all that sort of stuff, particularly to the music. I I can't get the thing right. I just can't. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't flow. But when you see a 1,000 or 2,000 Brazilians in in their own culture just worshipping God, you you just try a little bit. The arms go the wrong way and the legs go the wrong way. And you just think, no, it isn't about culture. It's about this one man. They're enjoying this one man, whether it's militaristic or wobbling. And then oh, we have this moment. We go to the Bright- this is the. Enter- we go to the Brighton Conference. Some of you may- and I take with me some guys, including Silas. I have been over 10 years, I've been on the Brighton Conference once by invitation. I have never press-ganged my way through 5,000 people and been on the Brighton Conference stage in my life because I just think it's implied. Until on the screen behind him, just blown up in magnificent size, is Silas. From my church. Because doing Indian dancing. Silas, come here. LAUGHTER Come here. No. Yes. <laughs> we don't go home till you've been here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come here. No, no. Thank you. Well, Zeke, Silas, come on. come on. Yes, come here. <laughs> come on, Silas. I just want you to, I want you to just show us, seriously, because they're all going to be for you. They're they kind of oh, no, embarrassing. Okay. Right, Silas. I, I want you to imagine. I am, I am, charismatic, English Christian. Okay, okay. I'm going to do my bit. Okay. <laughs> this is this, this is as good as it gets. Okay, Silas. <laughs> I might do this a little. Right, okay. Now then, what I want you to do is this is what we saw. Okay, I want you to do Indian teach us okay i'll have a go with you all right right. okay do you need music to do this okay i'll go go with my fingers like this okay which oh look see fantastic thank you do you know it doesn't matter it matters that you worship him it matters that you worship him The frightening freedom of worship actually is a missionary mandate. We mustn't lock the gospel into a cultural straitjacket. Rather, we must find the place, the time, the dress, the form, the music that kindles one thing across the nations, that Jesus Christ rules and reigns. And that is it.